Welcome back to SaaS Open Mic by Chartmogul. This is a discussion I've wanted to record for a long time, and I'm excited to finally be able to bring it to you. David Council, CEO of Drift, is a product person through and through. He's no stranger to growing a SaaS business, formerly working as CPO at HubSpot after his startup, Formable, was acquired by the marketing giant. David firmly believes that the experience of buying business software is lagging far behind the experience we've all come to expect from consumer shopping. David and I chatted about his vision of the future of sales and marketing software and how Drift fits into this. I'll give you a hint here, it involves chatbots. Just one more thing before we get started. If you enjoy this episode, we'd really love for you to share it with somebody else who could enjoy it too. Or even just leave us a review on iTunes. That would really help us spread the word. Thanks. So here's me talking to David Cancel, CEO of Drift. So David, thanks so much for joining me here on the Child Mogul podcast. It's really great to to chat to you. Thanks for having me, Ed. I'm excited to be on the show. So I have like a million questions uh, for you here, but we're clearly not going to get through all of them. It probably makes sense to to start at the beginning, just for people that that don't know or, or people that need clarification. Could you perhaps explain to me in a way that my mom can understand what Drift is? <laughs> sure. Um, Drift is pretty simple. We're, we're trying to make it easy for businesses and customers to communicate and uh, in order to for customers to have an easy process in buying something from that business. And, uh, and it sounds like that would be something that would be solved already. But the last decade of marketing and sales tools have made it like super difficult to buy. And it doesn't mm. match the way that people buy anymore, right? Mm. Because I can buy an, I can buy a can of seltzer to be delivered by Postmates uh, right now on my phone. But if I go to a business website, I have to fill out a form and wait for a month for a sales rep to contact me. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes complete sense. What, why is this something that you care about in particular? So, like, what, mm. why did you start Drift? Well, I've been building marketing and sales software for my entire career, which is 20 years now. And, uh, and I just felt like when I started Drift, I was looking at like the way that we were changing the way we communicate and specifically like in our own lives and, you know, using Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook Messenger and WhatsApp and all these kind of messaging tools from a technology, Slack included, all technology standpoint, like none of those things were new. They've existed for 20 years, the technology, mm-hmm. but the shift had happened where those things were now normal. And it made me question all the software that I had created before, which was a lot of marketing and sales software. And it made me look at that and say, like, wow, all that stuff I spent 20 years building looks insane now. Mm. Yeah, there's this clearly like some some pretty big shift happening or, or that has happened in, in the kind of mm-hmm. especially in the sales and, and marketing space. How do you see I guess looking forwards a little bit, how do you see Drift fitting into that to, with the solution that you have today, but also like what you're planning to, to do in, mm-hmm. in your wider vision. <laughs> uh, yeah. So our wider vision is, is wild and crazy. Mm. And we think we have a, we have this chance to redefine the whole stack of marketing and sales software, uh, everywhere from marketing automation to CR, CRM. 
uh, over time, obviously, it's going to take a long time and a lot of things have to go right. But we just think all of that has to be updated for this, like I mentioned before, this world we live in now where I can buy anything. And I mm-hmm. expect all businesses to be kind of on demand. Yeah. And uh, and businesses, B2B businesses, I should say, are very far away from that today. Right. So would you say that you're helping B2B businesses especially kind of fit into that on-demand kind of expectation? Exactly. Because it's exactly. definitely something, it's, it's super overwhelming, I think, for a business today that, that is faced with this expectation from uh, users that they can be reached mm-hmm. anywhere and everywhere and pretty much at every time. That's definitely something we see at ChartMogul. Um, I guess that's the problem you guys are solving at the core, right? Yeah, exactly. How do, we, how do we do that and how do we do that at scale? Like, that's the big problem. And uh, I think we're finally at a, at a point that we can do it from a technology standpoint and a market acceptance standpoint. And so that's what we're going after because that is the expectation. My daughter is 12 years old. She doesn't know the difference between a, a brand, a company, or a person in terms of communicating <laughs> to them. She expects them to be the same. And I think everyone else who's growing up at this point expects that. And it's only, you know, some of us who have been around for a long time who think like, oh, no, this is the way you talk to a business and this is mm-hmm. what you should talk to. How do you talk to a person? And I don't think many people think that way anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the like key problems there is, I th- think that businesses face is how do you scale that interaction? Yeah, absolutely. So, so how are you tackling that at Drift? Uh, we do it uh, in various ways. So like one, the most important way is that we we have something called the, uh, our Drift bot. So it's a bot that lives in our communication channel, which lives on your website or inside your app. And uh, and the bot learns about the kind of messaging that happens on your website. Hmm. And it learns from that and becomes smarter and uses the rules that you may use today to for sales teams or marketing teams to qualify someone as, is this a customer? Is this someone who wants to buy? Is this someone who has a support issue? All of those kind of questions that may arise, like the bot handles a lot of that. And the bot works 24-7, 365. I have to say that, I don't love bots. Like I'm not a mm. big believer in bots and I've tried like every bot, you know, app and company out there. And, uh, and I think that where they all fail is that they're all, most of them, I should say, pretend to be human and we haven't passed the Turing test yet. So like, that's not going to work. So like, that's the worst experience. And so we took the opposite approach and said like, it's always going to be clearly a bot, right? Right. Just like you may have a bot in Slack or HipChat or something like that. It's clearly a bot. Yeah. And so your expectations are very different if you identify that way. We're not trying to replace human behavior. We are trying to just be more intelligent about how we can route someone to the right person. So mm-hmm. at the end of it, it's still a person. Okay. So you you would argue, I guess, that this, this route of like trying to make bots pretend to be humans is, is a completely wrong approach. And it's more like, yeah, more like replacing an automated phone system with a totally. with a web based totally. bot. Okay. Yeah, think about it as like IVR, which are those automated phone systems, but mm. those, uh, but one that's like more intelligent and understands language and knows who you are. It's not just like you know dial two now to get routed here, mm-hmm. but uh, there's intelligence that's built into it. Uh, I think it's closer to that, or we think about it as a concierge. Right. than it is a human. And, uh, and then that changes expectations. Okay. Do you think that there always needs to be like a human element there? Or do you see a, a world where we, we can have that fully automated and, and we don't need humans? There? Uh, there, there, there definitely doesn't need to be a human element in there. Mo- many of our customers uh, don't have a human involved at all in that. Mm. And it depends on their use case. Like 
So for example, if it's like a sales use case, which is common for us, um, they, they, there might not be any humans available, but they may, the bot may offer up a human's calendar, right, with the next three times that that person's available. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that you can schedule that right then. It's still, you haven't completed the, the transaction or the interaction, but you've gotten someone further along and you've kind of made it easy for them. Mm-hmm. And so um, not always do you have humans involved in the process. And then we have other things where we integrate into knowledge bases and other information sources where we can self-serve kind of an answer um, to, to people. And so it really depends. So I don't think there always has to be a human in there. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so on a high level, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how how you're growing Drift and, and some of the mm-hmm. ways that you use metrics um, to, to kind of make decisions and how, like, would you guys say you're, you're very metrics driven? And, and if so, mm-hmm. like, what, what kind of metrics and aspects of data are important to you to make yep. your decisions every day? Sure, I'd say um, we are customer driven. That is our model and my mindset. And then we we use metrics religiously. So we're very crazy about metrics, but in service of that. And so I, I like to draw that distinction because, because I've been part of other highly data-driven teams. And sometimes that can go in the wrong direction. Like, meaning that, you know, if you let anyone define a set of metrics, I can define it, a metric to tell any story that I want, right? If I get to pick the metrics. Mm. So you have to be careful about that. So we... And then you have misalignment that happens within those teams because of that. So we go the other way and we say, all right, what are the what do we think are the best um, metrics that that basically reinforce kind of customer success as we think about it? Right. Those are the metrics that we try to rally everyone around. And and on those metrics, we're pretty crazy. Okay. Do you have any examples of those? Like which ones in particular are key for you? Yeah. So we look at, you know, all your standard, uh, you know, like, um, sales rates and upgrades and upsells and churn rates, all that kind of stuff, which is, you know, everyone else does as well. But then we Mm. look at kind of experience metrics of like uh, for different cohorts and different types of customers, how long is it taking them to um, either load something or get through a flow or get a job completed, like how many steps. So we're looking at those experience type issues. Then we're looking at things that are maybe coming in through some qualitative source like uh, support. And what are the big call drivers that are coming from support? What are the big, uh, from our sales teams, what are the big issues that we see that has caused us to lose a, a deal, a potential deal, lose an existing customer? And so we try to make sense of all that and create categories around that so we understand, like, not only, like, past indicators, but, like, what are the things that are we missing that we couldn't even measure? Mm. So it, it's really, um, it seems like there is a place for, gut feeling and and kind of uh non kind of numeric based metrics but you you use your gut feeling and and in a combination with uh metrics to kind of for those things to inform each other yeah you know like i i i years ago came up with like just there's simple ways that you can take qualitative data right beyond Mm -hmm. just gut and say like okay let's apply a pattern to that and so uh, an example that's simple is looking at support type issues or um, product type issues, you can look at the surface and say, oh, those are just like, you know, just this customer said this and this customer said that, there's no pattern there. Mm -hmm. But if you like, if you apply a framework to it, uh, you can see patterns. Like for me, when I say like, if people are saying like, how do I XXX, 
Yeah. You know, that's a certain type of pattern. And then we can categorize that, right? Yeah. Regardless what the subject is in that case, right? Mm-hmm. Or what happens when this, when I click this button in your app, you know, all of these kind of questions are telling us something different about the type of issue that that customer be, may be having. Where mm-hmm. I think people get get it wrong is like they try to use gut and then they try to just look at the subject, which might be some random thing today, and mm-hmm. they don't see the the larger user experience issue that someone's expressing. Yeah, yeah. It it seems to me like a very product driven uh, approach yes. to metrics, and, yes, and you're a product is. guy, right? Like I'm it, a it totally guy. makes sense. Yeah, so for sure, yeah. Um, that actually kind of brings me onto something else um, related to you in, in in your role as as CEO of Drift. Like, how how close do you stay to the product? Um, are you uh, still very hands on with that, or how's that look today? Yeah, at this stage, I'm I'm still super close on the product side. I think I will ever be. I will forever be. I should say. I mean, it's a we have a VP of product mm-hmm. who's fantastic who joined us this year and is taken into the next level in ways that I couldn't. Uh, but it is the, the part that I'm closest to. That and I'd say marketing are my two areas where I stay really close. Mm-hmm. And to me, they're both two ends of the customer experience, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, you know, what is the promise that we're making out there and how are we resonating with that promise? And the other is how are we delivering that promise? And yeah. so that's why I stay on those two things because, because of this customer-centric kind of obsession that I have. Yeah. That's that's really cool, and and just judging from the different people I've spoken to, I have quite an interest with kind of CEOs or leaders of, of businesses who have these different backgrounds. Um, mm-hmm. And I've spoken to people with with product backgrounds and technical and and business, and it's quite interesting to see what kind of role as CEO they kind of carve for themselves. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what, whatever they did last is going to be the hardest hire they make. Or yeah, that person and have the hardest time. <laughs> and also, I think this idea of having to kind of separate yourself a little bit from that as you grow up in, into a like more high level like business leader, um, I see various examples of that, and, and it's really interesting. Um, what kind of CEO would you say you are? Hmm. I don't even. I don't know what the types are. Uh, let's say <laughs> you can make up your own types. Yeah, I'd say. Um, I, I heard I heard a, a, an interesting leadership framework recently about like these three buckets that you can fall into, mm. like visionary and operational and relationship were the three buckets. Right. Like, which are your strongest there? And I'd say like, you know, my strongest are definitely more vision, and then operations, like in okay. terms of product and marketing, kind of like in in the middle there. Yeah. And I'd say my weakest is kind of is relationship, even though I'm so obsessed about people and customers, mm. uh, I'd say I'm probably the hardest there. And so then that means that the team that I build um, around me that's closest to me are strongest in the relationship part and probably super strong on the operational part mm-hmm. where I can make up some of the some of the work on the vision stuff and on the vision side. And I think, you know, one thing that takes a while for you to learn, all of us to learn is um figuring out what you're actually good at versus what you think you're good at. And then, uh, then learning to kind of double down and triple down on the things that you're good at and, uh, and really invest around those weaknesses that you have. Yeah. Yeah. I, I spoke to somebody once who told me that as a CEO, that the only thing they want to be doing are the things that they are uniquely qualified to do and that nobody else can do better than them. Um, oh, I which, love that. But it's so funny because we're, we're, I feel like we're taught the opposite. 
yeah. right? Most of our lives to yeah. do the opposite, get better at your development areas, get mm-hmm. strengthen up your, your weaknesses, like uh, that it's a cop out, you know, to, to not want to do the things that you're not good at. And I think it's the opposite. It's you're creating a team, right? And it's totally. team is a, a group of people that have different strengths. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen, so I've, I've read a bit of your writing and you, you publish and, and share quite a lot of thoughts around, uh, products <laughs> Sorry. And, and marketing. <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting to me, but I, I was wondering where you look to for inspiration, either in the industry or for, for what you do. Like, do you, do you have any kind of role models? The, oh, yeah. the, the stuff you're saying around kind of being, um, customer driven really reminds me of like, uh, Jeff Bezos and, and a lot of oh, his totally. talking. He's my number one role model. Right. Right. Is, yeah, is there I, anything I, else that you kind of use as inspiration? Yeah, I, I have, um, kind of religion around this, around always having, um, role models, role models, and then like, uh, the anti role models. So like mm-hmm. you, you have to understand both and having groups of those that are, you know, always, two, three, four, five steps ahead of you to kind of reset and reorient what you think is normal and kind of help you drag yourself up there. And so with myself and then everyone on my team, you know, whether it's Dave in marketing or whether it's someone in sales, I'm always talking to them about what role models do you have? Do you have any mentors? How can I help you find those? Like, are they the right ones or were those role models great for yesterday, but now you need another set for, you know, the next two stages and so we're mm-hmm. always thinking and resetting our role models so important because you know you've everyone's heard like you are you are you know show me your friends and i'll show you your future right yeah, yeah. and that is that it, that could not be more true and i kind of learned that the hard way yeah um, because uh growing up you know i did i grew up there was no internet right i couldn't just google something i couldn't i didn't have access to to things and so you didn't even know it was a more innocent time yeah. I didn't even know it was possible because I was only around a, a limited set of people in my geography. Sure. And then my life has been kind of this, uh, this movie of meeting different role models and, and, and new groups of people who have helped uh, elevate me. And so I've lived uh-huh. this kind of, kind of stumbling my way around like Forrest Gump, you know, throughout life, kind <laughs> of dragging myself up. And, uh, and now I try to help others. And, uh, now obviously it's much easier. Every, every, everything is accessible, but I try to help them and just get going because I feel like, wow, I could have learned so much, so much sooner, uh, so much more, so much sooner if I would have known this earlier on. Mm. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and it's something that I think it's it's not so common to take a really considered approach to that early mm-hmm. on. It's, it's usually <laughs> something that you look back on and, and realize, like you said, it would have perhaps been a lot easier to to have done that uh, from the beginning. Right. What, what would you say to people today that are kind of looking for inspiration or, or mentorship in some way? It, it seems like yeah. a really hard thing to, to get into. Yeah, uh, well, I'd say a couple of things. Um, one, you know, I have this, uh, another person that I, I, that inspires me is is in fitness, right? So you have mm-hmm. to have every different realm in your life, whether it's like friends, family, love, you know, uh, whatever all the dimensions in our life, you have to have role models in all of those. But I have one that's called, his name is Ido Portal, okay. and he's a fitness uh, person from Israel, and he's just inspiring. If you go Google him and watch his YouTube videos, you'll be blown away. But anyway, one of the things that he says when someone asks him this question is like, that he doesn't look for inspiration, that he doesn't wait for inspiration, and this is what I think most people to do, to fall from the heavens and to hit him on the head mm-hmm. and for him to be inspired. Instead, what he does is he makes time 
he makes an appointment with himself every day to inspire himself to make sure that he's motivated. And so that's what I would say to people is make it a priority. Yeah. Take time every day to be thoughtful about this. And your role models don't have to be, you know, Jeff Bezos or Ido Portal or any of these people. It can be, you know, someone that you want to learn through. And I, I'm a big believer in reading through mm-hmm. books or through YouTube videos or through, you know, whatever, whatever source that you want to use. It doesn't have to be someone live in person. And I feel like so many people are are waiting to find role models and mentors because they're waiting to find someone who's going to give them the time. And anyone that you want to be a role model is not is not just going to give you time. So you have to make it a priority and you have to own it and, and get after that. Yeah, that seems like awesome advice to me. Um, you, you hit just quickly on the books there. Mm-hmm. Like, is there anything uh, specific that you've read lately that's left a big impression on you that, that you would recommend? I'm, I'm one of those people that reads about five books at one time. Oh, man. And so okay. I, I, I alternate through all of them. And there's so many good ones that, that I um, kind of revisit or that I have brought back. I, you know, I was reading a book recently by um, John Mackey, mm-hmm. who is the uh, CEO of Whole Foods. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and so he has, a, he has an interesting book called Conscious Capitalism, which I liked a lot, which right. is, you know, how do you build a, a company that's beyond just profits? So I like that book a lot. And then you know, there's, there's books all over the map that I love. I always re- revisit classics from people like Zig Ziglar, who's kind okay. of a motivational yeah. speaker. I, you know, depending on the day, I'll have a billion books for you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but I, I actually write about it a lot and I publish uh, on Medium and other places. So I'm constantly recommending uh, different books. I'd say one of my highlights from last year, in case you didn't read it, is um, is uh, is the book by... Phil Knight, the founder of um, Nike. Yeah, I just finished so it actually a couple oh, yeah. of months back. Yeah. What did you think about it? Oh, it was it was an incredible story. I actually listened to the audiobook and and I found it oh, yeah. just I, I was on the edge of my seat for like the whole thing. It was really Highly incredible. Recommend. Yeah, because that is when once you go through it and then you're like, this is what starting something is like. Yeah, yeah. this is the real story. This is the story that's not on TV. Yeah, because no one wants to hear that story, right? Yeah. which is you know how many years and how many loans and how much, how many times did he almost fail before he put together Nike? Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I totally agree. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time. I just I'm wanted to, to ask you one more quick thing um, on more on the topic of hiring actually. So mm-hmm. you've written and, and kind of spoken a lot around your approach to hiring, um, which is focused more around people than skills, yep. mm-hmm. um, which I, I think makes complete sense. I was wondering if you could describe in a more practical sense, like what you really look for when you're, say, interviewing somebody. How do you judge that that they are the right person? Hmm. Is, uh, you know, I look at them from three dimensions. I look at them from the skill dimension, which is the easiest and the most boring one because everyone talks about that one. Mm-hmm. I look at them from the from a cultural standpoint, like, is this someone that I want to be around? Is this someone that I can learn from? Like, those are things that that I think a lot about that people discount and culture is not just the eight things that you've put on a slide and you say, this is our culture. Mm. Like culture is really, is really the, the feeling that you're trying to create within a company and the, the feeling that you, the exchange that you're having with this person. And then the third dimension that I look at is the one that took me the longest to figure out, which is stage. And that is, right. is this person right for this stage? And is the question that I missed for so many years and I, I looked at, like most people, I think on two dimensions, you know, fit, 
mm-hmm. uh, from a skill standpoint and fit from a cultural standpoint. But then you may end up with someone who is not a fit from this stage of business. And mm-hmm. it is okay, just like it is okay to say that you have weaknesses and you're good at these things. It is okay to say that you might not be right for a stage. And it is rare, especially in, in this early stage kind of in these early stage businesses for someone to make it through multiple stages of business. And that is what is amazing to me, like someone like Bezos, who we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. How did someone go from founder to where he is now? Yeah. And the remarkable thing isn't what he's achieved and all that stuff's amazing to me. It's like that he was able to transform from a personal standpoint himself from that to where he is now, because that is so rare. Not yeah. many of us will make that leap, that big of a leap. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I uh, I think that's a great place to, to leave this. But David, thanks so much. Um, in the short time, there's a million things here that uh, I, I'm going to go and follow up on and, and books to go and read. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. <laughs> Is there anything we should uh, know about Drift moving forwards? What, what's in the pipeline? Uh, for you, no, guys? just check us out. We're at drift.com and, um, and we write a lot about things beyond our industry and share them on our podcast called Seeking Wisdom. So love for you to check it out. Great. Will do. Thanks a lot, David. Thank you. Cheers.